Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul back in Connecticut. We're back home, guys. We're ready to continue, but it looks like we've got the case of the December blues today, Rahul. We do, and it's been a long weekend, which started obviously on Saturday morning, but the women, as usual, have rescued it on this Sunday. Yeah, maybe let's start with a positive note because that Saturday morning was brutal. So we'll get to that maybe a little bit later. We have a lot to cover there as well. So talk to me about another historic record that these ladies have set. So they faced Arsenal in the FA Cup final. Uh, as you may remember, we actually spoke about the FA Cup and the start of the, the competition back in April. Uh, and so it's the final was today, and we faced Arsenal, like I said, a rematch from the 2018 final, actually, where we had won. Um, and so we were coming up against uh, them for the second time this season after losing to them in the opening game of the Women's Super League. Uh, but we came out flying, and within three minutes, we were 1-0 up from Super Fan, Fran Kirby. Uh, and... Honestly, we had a bunch of chances after that. We should have scored maybe two or three in that first half after that first goal. Uh, shades of maybe the men where we weren't taking our chances or the, the goalkeeper um, was pulling off some good saves. But either way, uh, we did pretty well in that first half. We defended well. We attacked well, like I said, and, and went in at halftime 1-0 up. Uh, Arsenal did come out a little bit more aggressive, a little bit brighter in the second half, trying to make things happen. Uh, but with our attacking power um, this time around with Sam Kerr around the 58th minute made it 2-0, uh, showing her pace, getting in behind the Arsenal defender Beatty, uh, and then catching the goalie really off guard with a near post finish. Uh, and at that point, it's 2-0, about an hour on the clock, and you're thinking, with the way we've been defending, it's, it's pretty much game, but you obviously don't want to get carried away. Arsenal right. still continue to push on. Um, the the woodwork comes into play, denies us around the 70th minute with Kirby. Uh, but a few minutes later, and, and this was definitely the pick of the goals, uh, Leopold plays a ball in again behind the defense. Uh, Sam Kerr showing off her pace. Uh, but this time, not only her pace, the technique to chip the goalkeeper from uh, inside the box, but still you know, get the technique to get it over the goalie and into the into the net, uh, making it 3-0. And she herself was pretty surprised with that finish. <laughs> um, but that pretty much summed it up. That was 3-0, uh, dominant performance and, and history made with a domestic quadruple, if you, if you count the community shield. I was going to say, I know you said treble earlier, I didn't want to interrupt you, but maybe it's four, four trophies that they've got to claim so far this season. Look, only halfway through the season it's going to continue on so while it's a domestic quadruple it may be a very good calendar year for the women's team with 2021 wrapping up and going into 2022 for a season to continue like this it's going to be amazing and before this started Rahul I mean you talked about the number of trophies you've talked about the regulars and Fran Kirby and Samantha Kerr scoring goals but you and I were talking about this game was televised across the world and so that's a big win for women's football overall but then I was looking at the stadium and seeing a very good turnout for people coming out to this FA Cup final. And the support was amazing. You could see a lot of great scenes at the end with Chelsea fans staying behind, making a lot of noise. And the ladies were rightly so very excited, celebrating with them. And I think that's just showing there's a lot of this coming forward and a lot of support and things that we love to see for the ladies. Absolutely. And, and they deserve it. I mean, not just Chelsea. Well, obviously, we cover Chelsea because that's who we support. But even for Arsenal, I mean, they this, I believe, was their 17th final in the FA Cup, uh, which in itself speaks volumes about what they've been doing for the last decade or so, even longer. Uh, and for us, obviously, this was our fifth final and a third win. Uh, so we it almost shows you the, you know, where we are currently in terms of making history and obviously building upon it where we keep coming back and winning these trophies. And, and like we said, it's four trophies in the, in 2021 uh, and fans around the world are noticing it. It's not just you and I talking about it. There's a lot of people everywhere talking about it. 
my wife this morning was when I was watching the game was like, I'm sure you're going to record tonight and talk about this. And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. Because they deserve the attention um, and not to take anything away from what they do. But in most cases, like we were saying last season, they end up putting a smile on Chelsea fans faces when uh, the other team goes in and pulls off certain results like they did, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, congratulations to everyone involved, and especially Emma Hayes, who becomes the first female coach to win the FA Cup three times. Uh, she now becomes the most decorated female coach in English football history uh, and the first women, women's league and Chelsea manager to win the domestic quadruple. So I just don't know where uh, to go with her, but in terms of the accolades and trophies, it's, it's just another one that comes her way and, and she continues to make history. Yeah, I mean, what more praise can you heap upon this woman? Right. And then the whole team as, as an entire group together. I see. I think that Chelsea as a football club, we've praised them, you know, specifically around Marina and things that we've seen very publicly on the men's side. But you've got to give credit to Chelsea as a club overall on the women's side. They've recruited really well. Uh, Rahul, we had talked about the same names over and over again. And I keep saying these are the same people scoring. But then they go out and, and recruit Lauren James, for example. You know, now they're laying the foundation for the future. Now, if these ladies are getting older or moving on to other clubs, hopefully that doesn't happen. But you now start to see that they are planning for the long-term success of the women's team. And, that, and that's great to see that they've got a successful model on both sides of the camp, and it's going to continue that way. And then you want to see them add to the youth side of it as well, too. So hopefully this continues. What more praise can we heap upon them? I mean, we can continue to say this, but what a job they've done together as a group out there. And you can't forget that they did make the Champions League final too. So right. if that had gone differently, this would have been a fifth trophy in, in the 2021 year. Um, and even though this was a delayed final of the 2021 season, the FA Cup uh, was actually played obviously today. Um, we now go back and defend our trophy next uh, <laughs> next year. And uh, we could win it again in a few months. So uh Wishing them all the best and, and hopefully it continues and hopefully we add the Champions League to this uh, amazing squad and amazing club and uh, it caps off everything that we've been fighting for is at least on the women's side. I definitely would not be one to bet against them. But to move on to more depressing news, to more <laughs> frustrating news, to, to form some tears coming out of my eyes here, we need to talk about West Ham versus Chelsea on the men's side. Um, a lot of people who've watched the game probably know what the results are. Those listening, maybe we'll start through the, the lineup first, Raul. Why don't you take us through that? So uh, we've been saying this for the last few weeks. It's a no-brainer. Mendy starts, but uh, we'll get into maybe why it should be a question <laughs> moving forward. Uh, not to overreact, but Mendy in goal, Christensen, Thiago Silva, and, and Rudiger in defense. Reese James back after uh, the injury it picked up against... Um, to miss out on the Watford game. Loftus Cheek, Jorginho seem to be our only real options in midfield. So they continued. Alonso continues in the absence of Ben Chilwell. Uh, and then Mount and Ziyech uh, in behind Kai Havertz. So decent lineup. I mean, a couple of surprises there. You know, we were looking at maybe Lukaku or Thibaut Werner coming back into the fold. They don't make it in. Uh, other than that, decently strong lineup. Maybe we should talk about a few changes there. Like you said, the only two in midfield were Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Are we maybe missing uh, an option or two? And maybe that's where we're, we're seeing some effects or struggling with that midfield position there? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we saw Saul play against Watford. And I know we didn't really cover that game, but he played 45 minutes, got pulled off. Uh, Tuchel says it was for the yellow card, but he was struggling. And so that really leaves you with two guys, uh, especially due to the injuries to Conte and Kovacic. Uh, and from what we're hearing, Jorginho himself has been suffering from some hip pain. So he's not 100%. Um, but they soldier on and those two guys have been good for most of this season whenever they've been called upon. And um, I know we'll talk about a, a mistake that comes on later in this game, but <laughs> Uh, those two as our only options aren't bad options. Obviously, you'd like to have the option of bringing Angolo Kante or Kovacic in, but in the absence of that, I think uh, a fair call to play them. Yeah, and then, you know, limited front three to pick from maybe, but Hakim Ziyech being uh, brought in and dropping Callum, maybe Callum Hudson-Odoi uh, unfairly dropped, or is it just rotation at this point? 
I think it was a little bit of a reward for Ziyech who came in against, again, I go back to Watford and he came on and scored the winning goal. Uh, Mount, who himself uh, is making his way back into the team, scored against Watford and assisted the goal. So uh, I think Tucho may have found it a little bit difficult to drop the two of them. But on the same side, I do feel a little bit of a harsh decision to drop Hudson-Odoi, who had been doing pretty well. So but that's the nature of the game at Chelsea. You, you, you fall behind to even if it takes just one game. No, no, look, I like your perspective. I think that's something I didn't look at it from that angle is that he's rewarding the two for performing well. But let's jump into that first half, Rahul. I'll go through a few key moments there. We started like a house on fire. I mean, that seems to be our trend lately. It doesn't matter who the, who the opposition is, whether it's top-class European opposition, uh, medium-tier, in this case, West Ham, who's a strong opponent that are sitting in the top four. We kind of pegged them back. We were all over them. I think in that first 15, 20 minutes, we had about 80% of the ball, uh, completely, completely locked them to the, to the final third of their position or their area. And you look at it and you wonder, it's only a matter of time before they crack. And of course, this happens with corner after corner. Thiago Silva, 37 years old. And we've said so much about this man, but we have to continue to, to heap praise on him. Scores a goal, beautiful header from a corner, almost unmarked a little bit. And it's great to see. And it takes us 1-0 up and it's super duper exciting. We're, we're thinking it's going to be built on. A few minutes later, West Ham show us the 80% mean nothing. Have a good chance. And again, Thiago Silva clearing at the opposite end of the field. What can you tell me about this man? I don't know what more to say about him. He's He does it on both ends. He loves a goal against a London opposition. He does it again in terms of scoring against Spurs and now against West Ham. Um, and honestly, when we scored the first goal, like I've been saying for, for, I think, pretty much the whole season, when we score first, I feel comfortable and confident to say, okay, now I think we're going to go on and win this game because it just gives us a platform to go on and, and defend, which is what we've been doing pretty well. Um, and the first goal obviously comes and, and you're thinking, okay, you know, West Ham are now going to have to come out and that opens up space for us. But like you said, they come out and almost score themselves. So they always possess that threat. And as we progress here, and we'll talk about the rest of the game, uh, they exploited that threat pretty well. Yeah, it's almost like they didn't need to exploit that threat. We gave them <laughs> that threat and the fact that I don't know what this this whole situation I'm trying to describe as best as I can. But Jorginho with a back pass to Mendy, not sure why he was going with that back pass. He's normally a very good reader of the game, a good observer of his surroundings, but kind of put Mendy in a tight pickle, for lack of a better word. But then, more importantly, what is Mendy doing trying to out-dribble, I think, Bowen in this situation and, and do a pass when Bowen clearly beats him to it. Mendy makes the foul and it's a penalty for West Ham. Honestly, I don't even know where to start with this because, like you said, it comes from Jorginho. He plays it back. You've got to give West Ham a little bit of credit because they must have seen this pattern where we, when we get pressed high, we tend to go backwards towards Mendy for him to maybe, you know, help us reset a little bit. Uh, they read that, and, and obviously the pass wasn't enough, uh, strong enough to make it directly back to Mendy and, and Bowen intercepts, like you were saying. Um, and then from that point on, I think a little bit of panic sets in which is kind of normal because you're basically one-on-one with the attacker who has the ball uh, and say what you want. Mendy could have maybe stayed back, maybe not been a little aggressive. Um, but I think he felt that he had to be and gives away a foul. And that really leaves you no choice, but a penalty. And honestly, this is one of those situations where I looked at it and I go, Mendy could have easily just cleared the ball and you, you've got to wonder, what is it about new age football? And I'm not going to pick on just Tuchel and Chelsea now, but new age football where it's almost blasphemy to clear the ball and just reset. It's like play from the back, short passes, play yourself out of tight tight uh, situations, which honestly I love. I love watching it when we are pinned back sometimes and we find a, a wonderful way with intricate one-two passes to get out of the situation. But then there are times where it's like there isn't an option this is this is right on your penalty box. Get it out of there. Look, we can sit here dissected left, right, but now it's happened a couple of times in a few games where we've conceded a goal from what appears to be silly mistakes, and it's wondering where you go from there. Well, you go, you bring West Ham back in the game, like you said, and 
And that honestly, away to West Ham, we saw what they did to Liverpool. Uh, if you're bringing them back into the game, you're always going to have the opportunity or, or the possibility of them doing exactly what they did to us later in the game. Uh, but it hurt a little bit more the way the game went because we then go on and score a brilliant goal from Mason Mount. And that puts us up 2-1 now again at before halftime. And you're thinking, okay, now we've gone ahead a second time, at least in my mind. This should really be where, you know, we make it 3-1 like you had predicted and, and go on and win this game. Um, but before we talk about anything else, I think we got to talk about that finish from Mason Mount. I think that's where I want to spend a couple of minutes because we're going to dissect how the game didn't end in our favor. But you look at it and go, Hakim Ziyech has a good amount of time on the ball, first of all, which is good credit to us to find the space and West Ham lacking some concentration there. But he plays a lovely pinpoint eye of the needle. Uh, he finds it right onto Mason's big toe, whatever you want to call it, but he finds a beautiful ball. Mason Mount has a lot of time to position himself. He can take it down. He can look for a header and send it back into the box, but he hits it first time. And what a beautiful finish from Money Mason Mount, like you said, to take us to one. And he sits there and he, he plays it off like it's an easy finish, like he does this every <laughs> single day. And Rahul, you and I have to sit back here and say we've been critical of Mason Mount in the last few games. He's been inconsistent, not the same Mason Mount, but now we're here back-to-back games, goals, assists. Maybe he's getting back into form a little bit now. The game doesn't end the way we want it to, but keep a little more praise on our man here. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were critical of him. We were critical of Ziyech, and, and both of them have come up uh, in the last two games. So maybe they are listening, and if they're listening, uh, keep it up, guys. Uh, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, it was, it was a brilliant finish. It's one of those finishes where you're not expecting him to take it first time, and, and that's mainly down to us maybe trying to walk the ball in sometimes. Uh, but he hits it, and I think he catches Fabianski by surprise a little bit too. And it's a great finish. Uh, a, take a step back, a brilliant ball from Ziyech himself, who one of the reasons we bought him in is for that. Uh, right. And so it's good to see him using that that threat and that weapon that he has. Uh, and then Mount obviously doing what he does and 2-1 up right before halftime. And we're thinking, okay, you know, like, we come out second half and, and we can maybe nick a goal here and make it 3-1 and it's pretty much the end. Um, but also you knew West Ham were always going to come out and try to try to force another mistake or try to exploit uh, the threat that they have on, on the counter. And um, it didn't really help that we had to make a, another halftime substitution with uh, Kai Havertz going off injured. And I, I don't mean that that was the reason we lost this game, right. uh, but we were doing pretty well with him leading the line. And it almost seems like this may be a little controversial, but it almost seems like we tend to do better with Havertz up top than with Lukaku up top. Um, and we'll continue and, and dissect the rest of this game. But I see you making a face at me with at that comment. <laughs> Let's come back to that comment because I think we can spend a few we can spend a few minutes on that one because it's something I would love to talk about with you. But let's get into that second half a little more. Kai Havertz goes off. Uh, lack of concentration, Rahul, in my opinion, between uh, Alonso and Rudiger. I think the, each of them think the other one has it. They're both kind of not pressing hard enough and allowing a little more space. And Bowen, to take nothing away from him, I think he's a man in good form as well puts a lovely, lovely strike into the corner to equalize, makes it 2-2. And you, you still think, given the game, Chelsea can do something. We're not going to lose the game 2-2. Yeah, it's not what we want, but we can continue to get off on a draw London rival. We should be winning this game on paper. But then Musaku comes in with the shot, come cross, who, by the way, came on in, in the first half as a substitute for West Ham. And so you're sitting there wondering, and it goes in. And I got to ask you, is there anything Mendy could have done better for that one? Yes. <laughs> but it, it's tough because when you're watching it, you see Reese defending against Masuaku and, and Antonio comes in closer and um, Root Loftus-Cheek is coming and he tells Reese go block the run. And so Reese goes away and that really opens up the space for Masuaku to put in a cross, which is what he's trying to do. And a cross turns into basically going directly into the net. And I think that's what catches out Mendy a little bit because Mendy's expecting a cross to go into the middle of the box. And, and um, it doesn't. It comes closer to his uh, near post and he doesn't react in time. And it's 3-2 and it's right at the end. 
and not enough time for us to come back, not enough going for us at that point anyway, in terms of attack. Uh, and it kind of just fizzles out in, in terms of that and, and we go on to lose it. Yeah, let me go through the stats for a few minutes here because I think it helps paint a little bit of a picture. Total shots, 11 from West Ham to 19 from Chelsea, which is impressive on West Ham's part because if you look at some of the stats in our previous games, they haven't had that many opportunities. Five on target from West Ham to seven from us. 36% of the ball from West Ham and 64% from us, which is an interesting one because, again, with all that possession, West Ham did get away with quite a few shots on target pretty close to us at that point in time. And finally, maybe one more thing we talk about is we strung together 588 passes versus West Ham's 335. So, again, dominant with the ball, Rahul, but it's shades of Burnley, shades of Manchester United, where maybe we're not clinical enough, we're not finishing uh, not too much more to say for the game. Maybe we go through some some fan questions that have come in, right? Yeah. So I mean, every time we lose a game, it seems like the world's coming to an end. Uh, especially now that we haven't, you know, we've been on a good run. And uh, some of the questions coming in is, what's the main problem with Chelsea, the men's side at least, dropping points recently? Like you said, Burnley, Manchester United, and now against uh, West Ham. Yeah, ultimately, this is just my opinion, by the way. I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think we've played a lot of football very quickly in the first few weeks, months of the season here. You've talked about, you know, the Calling Cup or, or whatever they call Carabao Cup these days. Uh, you've talked about Champions League games, long distance travel back and forth, and then a lot of Premier League game, a couple of injuries there. So really, I think it comes down to our, our mental fitness and our physical fitness with everything that's going on. And as much as I don't want to use this as an excuse, I think there are a couple of key injuries that have disrupted our play. We brought Lukaku in to lead the line. He goes out for a month, not that he was scoring before. So again, I don't want to use that excuse. Uh, Midfield-wise, you talked about Kante and Kovacic been out for a little bit. It's hurting us. And then Ben Chilwell was in the form of his life. He's out injured now. And so those things, I think, all add up to maybe the main reason we're dropping points right now. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to one thing, right? In all these games, at least Manchester United and Burnley, we didn't score enough. In the West Ham game, we scored twice, but the issue came on the other side, which has been rare in under uh, Tuchel, at least. I think this was only the third time uh, that we've conceded more than one goal under him in 53 games. Right. Uh, so you've almost got to take this with a pinch of salt and say, our defense let us down mistakes between Jorginho, Mendy, Rudiger, Alonso, like you mentioned. Um, and then a free goal really comes out of nowhere yeah. that, you know, that makes it three, two, but if we don't really give away that first goal with that mistake, it's a different game because it's one nil, maybe two nil with the Mason Mount goal. And you're, it's a whole different game. Um, ultimately, I think the issue has been, we haven't been clinical enough. Right. And now that we're having issues on the defensive side, it's almost like the one thing we were doing very well was staying tight. And if we start leaking goals and don't score enough on the other end, we're going to drop points. So I think that's something that Tuchel's got to address and, and fix rather soon because we still have a lot of games coming. Right. That's a fair point. Um, the other question is, what's our biggest weakness? And I think we may have almost touched on it in, in both of in our answer with the main problem, but... Is there a, a big weakness that you see in the squad apart from the injuries that can happen to anyone? Yeah, there's one thing that stands out to me very obviously. And, and we've actually been praised or Chelsea has been praised heavily for this is that we score goals from all over the pitch. But if you look at the traditional Chelsea sides or any sides for that matter that have gone on to win Premier Leagues or win big trophies, they usually have a focal point. And when I mean focal point, I don't mean a uh, number nine per se, but a person that takes the bulk of the goals. And so, yes, I love that every single player is scoring. I love that we have diversity in goal scorers, but our biggest weakness is we don't have one person week in, week out that we can rely on as a solid striker. I think back to Didier Drogba, who was always clutch when you needed him for that. And then you look in between and you start thinking about Diego Costa, who was week in, week out, somebody who we could rely on. And then you look at, if we're struggling in midfield, we start looking towards maybe Frank Lampard. You start looking at Aiden Hazard. And they were big goal-scoring contribution players. And I come look back now, and, and I'm struggling to see that, yeah, Reese James is our top goal scorer, 
But in the previous seasons that we've won at Premier League, our right wing back has never been one of the top goal scorers. And so I'm looking, I'm looking at goals from players who were designed or bought in to score goals. So I'm, I'm looking at my Lukaku's, I'm looking at my Timo Werner's, uh, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, and we have a lot of them that can score goals. They're just not doing it on a regular enough basis. So I guess that brings me back to my original or my, my comment from earlier was, do we play better without Lukaku? And, and, and now anybody from that's listening to this, I, I want to like disclaim or, or say what I'm saying is the question isn't, do we need Lukaku? I think we absolutely need him in the squad. But he came in, like you said, in August. He's played a few games, got injured, went out of the squad. We went back to playing with Kai Havertz as our main guy, who was pretty much who we were playing with last season. Um, and that's something we know as a squad and as, a, as, a, as teammates. Lukaku was there for a few months. He got taken out by injury. Now he's coming back in. But we almost seem to not know how to use him. And I'll say that's not just down to the players that are on the pitch. That's down to the coaching staff. That's down to what's happening in training. Uh, but for now, would you say we've got to pick up points? Let's just go with what we know, which is Kai Havertz, and use Lukaku off the bench, which is insane to say because Lukaku is a hundred million pound player. Yeah, but then you said you use Kai Havertz off the bench, who's a seventy-two million pound <laughs> player. So either way you go, look, you're you're gonna have somebody who's expensive or who's who's just playing brilliant, like a Mason Mount or Callum Hudson Doyle or Pulisic, that isn't gonna start. That's not the problem. But to answer your original question, I think you answered it in yourself with the way you asked it. Yes, we do play it better with Kai Havertz, and that's really down to the fact that Lukaku didn't get a really full preseason with the team. He came in and had a decent start, then kind of tapered off and then got injured. We know how to play better with Kai Havertz. If you look at the last six months when Tuchel took over, we really didn't play with with, uh, Tammy Abraham that much. We didn't really play with Oli Giroud that much. We were playing with the false nine. And so team is is built around that. They know that very well. Again, same disclaimer as you. I think with enough time, I do believe Lukaku will be successful because Chelsea have had a track record of success with strong physical number nines. And so potentially it's just learning how to do things. And, and I'll say something a little more controversial here because I brought up Tammy Abraham. When I talked about Tammy Abraham, I remember Tammy missed a lot of good opportunities, which to me meant he had a one-on-one or what I would call an easy opportunity to score a goal, which he would not be clinical enough. The difference with Lukaku, Rahul, is I'm noticing he doesn't get those opportunities. It's almost like you said, we don't know how to find him. We don't know how to play to his strengths. And so that will come with time. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing you got to look at is the teams that are in and around us. I look at Man City, no recognized striker. They play better with the false nine. I look at Liverpool, and you could say Salah is their striker, but not really because he plays off the wing. So in the top four of the top goal scorers in the Premier League, Jamie Vardy is the only striker in there. Mohamed Salah, winger, Diego Jota, false nine, you could say, Sadio Mane, winger. So uh, it seems to be a new trend in, in the right. Premier League. Uh, but for us, like you said, we've always played with that focal point. And if we're going to go win a title here or at least get close to it, uh, the sooner we get Lukaku involved, I think that would open up right. or unlock some of the other guys around him because teams will start focusing more on him and, and open up space for others. So that's that's just my thought on it. Um, there's a question here about the Champions League and I know we're going to touch on on that game uh, coming up here but where will we finish in the Champions League is the question um, I don't know if we wait till we do the Zenit preview to maybe give an answer to that or or do you want to yeah I think I'll jump into it I don't know if the question is for group stages or overall but for group stages I think we might finish top of the group uh, that will answer that piece of it. Where will we finish in the Champions League? Look, it's it's tough to say, uh, and we'll cover that more in detail later, later. But all the teams that are playing Champions League, Rahul, anybody can beat anybody. We've seen that for a long time. Realistically, I think we'd make it to the quarterfinal stage, and then you can ask me for a prediction after that. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll talk to you again about that in, in April. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I... I... I'd love to say we'd go on and win it, but we we weren't saying that last season. So you just right. don't know. 
Uh, and between now and February, there's a big break between in the Champions League. So a lot can happen and a lot can change. So uh, let's let's touch on that once we we come back maybe in, in February for the knockout stages. Um, what do you think needs to change? Our form has dipped quite a bit since Juventus, which is mind-blowing to say because Juventus was maybe 10 days ago. Right. Um, and since then, we've drawn to United, we've beat Watford, and we've lost West Ham, and that, and that coins as a, a dip in form. <laughs> it's a tough one to answer because I think it goes back to the first question where the main problem with us dropping points comes down to maybe mental focus or physical focus, and we're getting to a really, really busy period right now. So it, it's hard to say, but I think consistency is the answer, Rahul. But how do you do that with playing the same players week in, week out, week in, week with so much football to go? They're going to get tired. Um, realistically, one thing that I could see that needs to change is maybe a more static front three. We discussed that in the last episode. We rotate our front three almost every game, and within each game, we rotate maybe two of them. And so it's hard for a front three to build a relationship and a partnership that's successful with goal scoring. So that's the way I would like to answer that one. I agree with you. And Honestly, I, yes, we said December blues and, and we're obviously concerned by what may happen in the next few weeks if you know, we continue to drop points. But from everything we've seen under Tuchel, three out of 53 games where we've conceded more than one goal, that in itself tells me that what's happened in the West Ham game or what's happened earlier in the week against Manchester United is always going to happen in football. It doesn't matter how great of a team you are. We've seen the greatest Man City side get beaten. We've seen Liverpool get beaten by Watford when they were having an insane season. It's almost how we come back from this. And every time we've had a setback, we've come back pretty strong and gone on a good run. So right. knock on wood, fingers crossed, that that's what happens with the next few games. And, and then we can look at it again and say, we're, we're close to the top of the table um, I'm not going to come and say we're going to go back top of the table because the other two are very good and have been good for a while. So uh, let's just take it game by game and, and get some of our injured players back and then we'll see where we end up in the, in the next few weeks. This question is about looking forward, I guess, to January or maybe even the summer, but that may be a little too far. Who do you think we should buy or sell? It's, again, very tough. I think we've discussed this a little bit, but maybe as far as sell, I wouldn't say sell, but maybe return Saul. He just doesn't seem to be picking up the speed of the Premier League, and that's unfair to the man, but you've got to look at who you've got in that for, in that middle of the park with Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic. Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been a revelation. Mason Mount can play there, and my eyes looking towards maybe Conor Gallagher in the future who could fill that spot potentially. He's a little bit different from Saul, of course, uh, you've also got uh, Billy Gilmore that could fill that position. So I start looking there. But then I, I say these names and I and I think about it. We have never in the last few seasons had a true destroyer. Uh, Kante does that job, but Sari, Tuchel, they tend to play him more forward-facing or more attacking-wise. What I mean by that is I'm missing a Claude Makalele or a Michael Essien even, where those guys sat super deep and just kind of broke up play and played a pass to the left or the right. Even John Obi Mikel, as much as people gave him flack for that, was very good about sitting deep and playing the simple ball. And so maybe a defensive midfielder. Now, who that is in the market, I've heard Declan Rice. People raise their eyebrows at the price over there. Marco Verratti has been a name that's been linked with us for a few few months now because he knew Tuchel very well. But where do you go from there? That's the big question. Yeah, I think you've touched on an area that definitely needs some improvement. And it's very tough to say to send Saul back on loan or back to Atletico Madrid because he's played two Premier League games. He started two Premier League games. And in both games, he's come off at halftime. One, obviously, he struggled against Villa. The second one was a yellow card. We'll take that, as Tuchel says. Uh, and to say after four months since he's come to send him back based off of two games is it's a little bit unfair, right? But you've also got to say he's surrounded by quality players, and when his opportunity comes, he's got to take it, and he hasn't done that. So if we send him back, we look at our options then in midfield with 
Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante, Loftus-Cheek. And we know Kante's injury issues. They've been pretty evident since Frank Lampard was here in that first season. Kante cannot play every single game week in, week out. Multiple games a week, definitely out of the question. And so almost looking at that kind of player in position and thinking in the three games where we've conceded more than one goal, he's missed all three games. We almost basically just need a replacement for Conte or a mini Conte, like you would say, a younger version <laughs> of him who brings the energy, who brings everything that Conte brings, the interceptions, the reading of the game, the contributions in, in attack and say, that may solve some of our problems. And, and I don't know if there's another Conte out there. There obviously isn't because <laughs> we would have him. Uh, but anyone close to him, and I know the midfielder from Monaco, I don't want to butcher his name, but it's Orlean Tuchemeni. I hope I said that right. I think he's one of the ones that we've been linked with. And if he's anywhere close to what Conte can do, I would throw some money at Monaco. I'd call Fabregas and maybe help him smooth some things <laughs> over and, and bring that guy in. Fair enough. Look, you, you said if Conte plays half the game, so if this player that we're looking at is 50% of Conte, I think I'd accept that. Now, given the fact that we are looking for backups at this point in time, and to address the Saul thing, Rahul, I think that it would it would be different if Ruben lost his hadn't stepped up his game. At that point, you'd then want to see Saul more, but it, it's very difficult to break into that middle two right now. Well, right now, it's 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 an opportunity waiting, but yeah, you're right. With everyone fit, it's it's definitely a tough tough place to to kind of make a mark um but those are some of the fan questions thanks for sending it to everyone i know there was one about var uh, from the rain uh around the leicester game against villa i personally didn't watch that game um but i think it was around ramsey scoring a goal that maybe um Shemichael went in for got kicked a little bit goal was actually given var had to come in and say another goal he got kicked uh but we complained about VR a lot. Your thoughts on it, on, on it this season? Is it better? Is it no improvement? <laughs> yeah, so from my perspective, I won't speak about this particular incident because I didn't have the opportunity to actually watch the Leicester issue that went down. But my opinion, VR has not changed, Rahul. I don't think it's done anything to benefit football so far. Uh, it, biggest things I've seen is that they take technicalities and they start to switch them or stretch them and try and understand uh, bigger issues that come out of it. It ties into the offside rule where I'm seeing referees delay their flags because they're hoping if they make a mistake, VR will save them. And, and long, the longest piece of this, all of the things that they're trying to prove, it takes a lot of the passion out of the game where a player scores and then looks at the linesman, looks at the referee and then crosses their fingers saying, well, if it has to go to VR, this goal could be chalked off. And so I'm going to hold back my excitement. And for me, that's, I remember myself four five, six years ago, anytime a goal scored, I would come on this podcast, for example, I would not be able to talk. I would lose my voice. Now I don't scream anymore because I'm waiting like, oh, VAR could chalk one off. Now, yes, there's an occasional goal where it's uh, done and dusted, but it's taking a lot of passion out of the game. And that's very hard for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say it's improved from at least last season. Um, but like you said, I think with the offsides and, and the referees relying uh, on the VAR to come and save the day, that I think needs to change somewhere down the line. Um, but honestly, don't really have any major thoughts on VAR. I personally think it's a little bit better, but I, I could be convinced the other way. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about some of the other games. So we lost 3-2, which was the, the early morning game or the first game of the weekend. We started off top of the table, but Liverpool, and I was I was following it on my phone. I wasn't watching it, but I was seeing on the, on the PL app. It was nil-nil, and I'm like, all right, Wolves may, may do us a favor here. Um, I even had a... a picture of the manager holding the wolves um <laughs> scarf up ready to go and then mr clutch gold divok origi pops up again in pretty much the last kick of the game and scores one and, and sends liverpool to the top of the table and as much as it pains me to say this role i think that's what champions are made of not saying that chelsea can't do that but that's what it comes down to right is you need every player to be firing on all cylinders when you're ready to go. And Liverpool have been that this season. 
definitely with the return of Virgil van Dijk and then Diego Jota, who they used heavily towards the end of last season, they are playing well. And, and, and even when you're not, you need that bench player to come off, which is Divock Origi, who, by the way, a lot of people have criticized him, said sell him off. He doesn't have a place. But if all he does is score five goals a season and those five goals are <laughs> these clutch goals, it's the difference between winning a Premier League and not winning a Premier League. So good for them. Yeah, and, and so we started on top. Liverpool went on top in, in around midday. And then Man City, who themselves had the opportunity to go top, come out against Watford. And I, I don't know where they've been hiding this Bernardo Silva, who they almost sold this summer. But this man's come out and, and taken it personally that you know they, they need a striker. And he's just scoring for fun. And I was looking at some comments or quotes that Fabrizio Romano was sharing online about Bernardo Silva in particular. And he had his mind made up that he wanted to leave Manchester City. There was a lot of back and forth between Atletico Madrid was the rumored destination and fees were about 60 to 80 million. Atletico wanted 30 to 40. Obviously, they couldn't work out the finances. And Bernardo was willing to continue with Manchester City. But there's always this Harry Kane situation of sulking on the bench not happy they're not playing in week out, week in, week out. And according to Fabrizio, one of the biggest things was Pep's done his man management, put his arm around Bernardo and said, I never wanted you to go. I know you don't play enough, but there is a player in here that can be brilliant. And boy, is he showing us he can be brilliant. These are some wonderful finishes, especially that other one where he curled it in from the left hand, right hand corner, excuse me. And I'm looking there like, has he been with City five or six years? Where has been these finishes in talent? But no, what a player they have on their hands there. And it, it reminds me of last season where around this time they had Gundogan starting to just score for fun. And that kind of propelled them onto basically winning the Premier League because of the run they went, at least in December. And this this time around, it seems to be Bernardo Silva who's who's doing his bit in... City come alive around this time and when other teams, a.k.a. ourselves, seem to be losing form, City are just picking up form. And honestly, if we're not careful, we may run into another situation where City kind of just clear away from at least us and and then it's just them and Liverpool. So, again, it comes down to us figuring out our our form and tactics here. Um, But one team that did figure out their form and tactics is Newcastle, who finally, 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 (laughs) in December, have picked up their first win of the season. Exciting times to be a Newcastle fan. No, it's good, Raul, because now they're playing not only to try and get out of that relegation zone, but to attract talent and say, if you sign for us, there's a potential you will not be playing in the second division next year. You will be playing Premier League football. And so they've got to do what they need to do to at least make it to January, get as many points as they can, and then pick up three or four decent players that can help them kind of at least solidify their status in Premier League. And then the summer is going to be insane if that happens. It's it's If it's anything as what the celebrations were after this 1-0 win against Burnley... <laughs> Um, I can't even imagine what's going to happen when they start bringing in some of the bigger names. But, hey, Eddie Howe's finally got his first win, and now they can hopefully build upon that. Uh, Speaking of getting their first win, uh, Ralph Ragnick is coming to Manchester United, the the godfather, I guess, of of Klopp and Tuchel, um, now at Manchester United. And he picks up his first win against uh, Crystal Palace. And Ralph Ragnick was allegedly offered the Chelsea job in February after Tuchel had signed in January. <laughs> so very interesting times and interesting words from Ralph Ragnick because apparently Tuchel had only played one or two games at that point and Chelsea were looking to replace him. No, I'm sure that was just a mistake. But look, it's he's bringing change to Manchester United. I think that was what all Manchester United fans were looking for. Reminds me a little bit of the situation with Frank Lampard and Tuchel. Now Chelsea were very, very ruthless in how quickly they did that. My United fans, not all of them, but a big majority of them were calling for a change and it has happened. And, and similar to Tuchel, the whole gameplay changes in the first game where they're pressing harder, uh, the whole formation's a little bit different in how they perform. And so you're seeing those immediate changes happen. So again, another dark horse to watch out for. Now he doesn't have Premier League experience, but if the rumors are true and he's brought up people like Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel, you know what this United side is going to look like and they have a lot of talent, Rahul, in that squad. So if he can pick the right 11 week in, week out, they can be very, very dangerous. 
They definitely can, and, and you said a dark horse, and I, I would have to agree with you. I think they have some very good fixtures coming up, and uh, you know, with the new manager bounce and uh, keeping a clean sheet just in itself must be must be very uh, rewarding for them. So, some a team to watch out for. But those were some of the fixtures from the weekend. We obviously didn't have such a good weekend ourselves, but some of the other teams did, and. Hopefully it's a wake-up call and we bounce back with the win next weekend. But before that, we have a small matter of a trip to Russia. St. Petersburg awaits for a Champions League sixth match day six game uh, against Zenit. So when you say small matter, do you mean that the way you're going to plop meant it or the way the whole of Africa, the whole of Africa took small to me? Now just, just throwing a joke in there. No, another great game, Zen St. Petersburg, good squad, good team. Uh, big travel out to Russia, Rahul, adds to some of the things we've already discussed here with fatigue mentally and physically going back and forth. But it's going to be interesting, like, like you said, or we've been talking about, we had already qualified when we had uh, dismantled Juventus a few weeks ago. But this game is going to be for who finishes top of the group, right? Yes, and and we currently said top, like you said, mainly down to the way we dismantled Juventus. Uh, but again, Juventus play Molde. Is it Molde? Is that the fourth? I forget if that's the fourth team. But they played them in, in the Champions League at home, I believe, and we have to go all the way to Russia. Um, and so... Anything but a win would mean if Juventus win, we finish a second. And I think um, you have the scenarios, or at least based on at least right now, the way group, the group sit, uh, who we would face if we finish first and who we'd face if we finish second. Yes. So just really quickly it was Malmo, not Molde, that we were playing I, in there for Juventus I beg your to pardon, play. Yeah. Uh, and going back into this, Rahul, it's going to be a little bit confusing, but I think it's good to rattle off some names here. Uh, because it's just interesting to see who all is left in the Champions League. So if we finish first in the group, we could potentially play as it stands if nothing changes, which is why this is more interesting than actual facts. We could play PSG. We could play Porto. We could play Sporting Lisbon. We could play Inter Milan. We could play Barcelona. We could play Real or Albi Salzburg. And based on that list alone, it's almost like, should we be playing for finishing second then? <laughs> But then you look at second, and if we finish second, we could potentially play Lille, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, or Ajax. And so I don't know what's the, the best answer here, Rahul. First or second, either way, there's some mighty football clubs in there to play. I, I personally would say if we finish first, I would fancy our chances against pretty much everyone but maybe PSG. Uh, in if you finish second, you're basically saying you have a 25% chance of getting <laughs> Bayern Munich or Real Madrid, which right. is a little bit higher than what you'd have for getting PSG. So, and and Barcelona isn't a done deal because they've got to play Bayern Munich, who right. Lewandowski is pretty pissed off at. So, <laughs> uh, Barcelona may fall out of that, and Benfica may come in. So, definitely an interesting match day coming up, and uh, we'll see we'll see how we do. I think our goal would be to finish first, but yeah, we also play on Wednesday, so we wouldn't know some of these other groups. <laughs> uh, Regardless of all the politics around that, Chelsea as a club, I think we always like to win. And so hopefully finishing first and then we can try and beat some of these other competitions we go through. Absolutely. We we did it last season, so we can do it again. Yeah. Um, but who would you start for this game? Uh, obviously, some rotation has to happen. We've had some... Uh, Tough games, some busy weeks in the past, and some coming up. So let's hear your predicted 11. Yeah, so I think for goalkeeper, we've always said Mendy is a default, but African Cup of Nations is coming up, Rahul. Uh, Mendy has been not off form, but seems to maybe need a rest, is what I'm going to call it as. And so maybe he can take a little bit of a seat and allow Kepa to come back in. Uh, get, give Mendy a rest and maybe an audition for Kepa to see how he performs while Mendy will be out on African Cups of Nations there. Back three, Aspilicueta, surprised to not see him for the last few games. I think he deserves a game in this one. Uh, Christensen, Thiago Silva's played a lot of football, 37, but he's 27 to me, but still needs a break. Antonio Rudiger seems to be our preferred uh, left center back. Playing well, didn't make a slight mistake in the previous game, but I think he will continue to stay. Uh, Reese James at right wing back. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho in the middle, just because of options right now. Callum Hudson-Odoi at left wing back. I think, you know, early on the season, we were singing Alonso's praises, 
Uh, ben Chilwell comes in and holds on to that spot. Alonso comes back. We haven't been singing his praises, so give Callum a shot there. We could play more attacking against this team. Pulisic and Mount is who I'm going for as the two behind our striker. And I think based on all the debates we've had today, Lukaku needs to start this game. <laughs> That's a good lineup, and I, I don't disagree with any of it, really. I think Tuchel basically alluded that Mendy would get arrested, saying that he's not sure what's wrong, but something's wrong there, and, and maybe just some time away would, would be beneficial for him. And Kepa, like you said, we, we need him in about a month's time, so maybe a good time to start letting him uh, get match fit. And then the others, I think, pick themselves. And my only concern is an injury for either Loftus-Cheek or Jorginho just due to playing so many games could could result in some scary times ahead. But we'll, we'll, we'll I guess, keep our fingers crossed and, and hope and, for the best. And we, and we win since I will back then at that point. He has enough <laughs> to play. <laughs> Um, but I love yeah. Hudson Adoy at left wing back because I see, it's like I said, I think it seems a little unfair that he's been dropped and Alonso hasn't hit the heights that we accept. So expect so Hudson Adoy could uh, maybe make a case to to play with left wing back for the next few games. And then Pulisic and Mount with Lukaku, I, I love to see Lukaku get a goal uh, and hopefully start, you know, the 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 run of games with with goals. So. <laughs> Should be an interesting game. Should be a cold game. Uh, I'm not sure if you or, or listeners had the chance to see the story on our Instagram, but it's I think it's going to be in the negatives. Um, and going to Russia in December is always <laughs> you're always going to have a, a chilly night out. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let, what's your score prediction? Just because my fingers are going to be frozen, I'm sure <laughs> that their fingers are going to be frozen too. I'm going to go for two one to so Chelsea. You- so you're predicting we'll finish top of the group. Um, yes. I honestly, I think a 1-1. Um, and I haven't predicted us to drop points in a long time, but the way things are going, chilly night out in Russia, don't really need to win this game because you already qualified. Um, I think 1-1. Okay, fair enough. And that means finishing top of the group is now down to how Juventus perform at the end of the day. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Absolutely. And so that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always, send us your questions, send us your feedback. Uh, and we will be back later to do a Zenith review and a Leeds preview. So uh, until then, stay safe and up the Chels. <laughs>